Why am I getting smarter but not richer? Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, what do you think? Any of you out there feel like that? Gee, you keep getting smarter, you know more than you did a long time ago. Why aren't you richer? Well, it may not be your goal, but we have a question about that. We're going to unpack that and more. Here's some more. Dan, I heard you say you can make a living selling people what they need, but you can get rich selling people what they want. Would you elaborate further on that idea and how you've seen that play out over the years? Hey, I'd be happy to. How, how about this? This is a cool question. Uh, Mary wants to know, can I just sell my art without showing my name? Now, guess what's behind that? What's behind a question like that? I want to just show my art or sell my book or write my blog, but I don't want to have to show my name. Well, you know what's behind that. We're going to look at that. And somebody asked, I'm a great coach. Why am I not making money? All right. More of the same kind of issue there. And then somebody says, Dan, I'm, I'm exploring the possibility of becoming a financial coach. Could you make a living at this or would it have to be part of some other business model? Great question. Well, I've got some opinion on that. If you want to be a financial coach, fantastic. Can you make a living? Yeah, not so sure. Well, we'll look at that. Our quotation today comes from Robin Sharma, who says, investing in yourself is the best investment you will ever make. It will not only improve your life, it will improve the lives of all those around you. I agree totally. And our resource for today is free resource. And it's my formula for investing in yourself. No matter what your income is, I think you ought to be investing in yourself. Now, this is a tough kind of issue. Because people say, well, I can't afford a book. I can't afford to go to a workshop or seminar. You know, I can't afford that course. Well, it's kind of a catch-22. When you can't afford it is probably when you need it most. And if you never take advantage of the things that can move you out of where you are, guess what? A year from now, you're going to be where you are right now. So we'll talk about that a little bit. So the resource then is 48days.com slash invest. If you go there, it'll unpack the formula that I recommend for how you can invest in yourself, no matter what your income, if you're making 10 bucks an hour, be investing part of that back into yourself. If you're making $500,000 a year, be investing a percentage of that back into yourself or you'll stagnate. Now, our business partner today is FreshBooks. You've heard me talk about them a lot. It's a process I believe in, keeping your financial books in order, whether you are an employee or you're an entrepreneur, it doesn't matter. Especially though, if you're starting a business on your own, wow, I get more questions about this than ever. You know, how can I make sure that I keep my nose clean? Well, you need to know where you are at any given time. You need to have accurate recording of your expenses and your income and then what's left, you need to be putting about 25% of that away for taxes because it's going to pretty well cover you depending on other deductions that you have, but you need to be planning on that. So if you make 200 bucks doing something, uh, don't just think you have 200 bucks to spend. You need to be 
planning for about $50 of that to be put away for potential taxes. Well, FreshBooks can help you do that. I recommend you keep yourself clean with that. Just go to freshbooks.com slash 48 days and then enter 48 days in the how did you hear about us section. All right. Now, here I want to play you a little I'll play you a little clip. You're going to recognize it instantly and I'll tell you why. But I want to play you a little clip and then I'm going to give you a good news story that goes along with this. Check this out. Why does it sound so familiar? It's the theme song. It's the opening of my good friend Dave Ramsey's show, Money by Pink Floyd. Now, I want to, I want to give you the lyrics for the first stanza of that. And then I got a story I want to share with you. The first stanza is money, get away. You get a good job with good pay and you're okay. Money, it's a gas. Grab that cash with both hands and make a stash. New car, caviar. Four-star daydream, think I'll buy me a football team. All right, that's the first stanza of Money by Pink Floyd. Just this last week, Pink Floyd's David Gilmore auctioned off 126 guitars, and he raised $21 million for climate change. So this is the legendary Pink Floyd guitarist, songwriter David Gilmore. He just auctioned off a whole bunch of his Guitars. I, I mean, I like these kind of stories. We've, we've, I've given stories recently about athletes who sold off their winning rings or their trophies. You know, rather than just clogging up a house somewhere, the guy get rid of them, raise some money. I mean, I love to see that. So the no, most notable guitar to hit the auctioneer's block was the iconic black Stratocaster that Gilmore used to record money. Now, this guitar ended up fetching $4 million. Guess who purchased it? Remember that line in that first stanza? Think I'll buy me a football team? That purchase, $4 million, was purchased by the owner of the Indianapolis Colts. Well, Gilmore's donating every penny of the auction sales to the environmental nonprofit organization, Client Earth. He says, we need a civilized world that goes on for all of our grandchildren beyond in which these guitars can be played and songs can be sung. So he just sold his guitars. Again, what a what an interesting story. Um, raised $21 million, gave his guitars to a worthy cause. You know, I, I don't have guitars that are worth $21 million, but uh, one of my possessions that represents the work that I do is the books that I have, the library that I have. Now, you know, I've been pretty open about the fact that Joanna and I are getting ready for a change. And rather than transporting a whole lot of books to a new house and having a book 
or build out bookcases right away to store all of those. Eh, it's things are changing a little bit. Even how I research and write is changing where I don't need the physical books as much because I can access information online so quickly. So I'm going through the challenge I gave myself at the beginning of this year was to go through and select 48 books that I cannot live without. Now that's a big change because I do have a couple thousand books, but just this last week, with my mastermind here. Uh, one of my mastermind members is Dr. Chris McCoskey. Uh, a lot of you know him from Professional Christian Coaching Institute, but he has purchased several buildings in the small town where they live and has created what they call the Incubator. So it's an incubator for young entrepreneurs to come in. There's also a big Victorian house and then several small houses. He's buying up essentially a city block, but they're turning an old church into this incubator. And what they wanted to do was to have a library for young entrepreneurs there. So what I agreed to do and thrilled to do is to donate my entire library to that incubator. Chris was here for our event so we loaded him up and shipped about a half of those, probably probably about a thousand books, along with uh, quite a variety of, of artwork pieces that Joanna's done, and then plaques that I had on the wall, some of the eagles that I had decorating shelves. All of that has been shipped back there. It's going to be the Dan Miller Library, which I'm thrilled to have them all go to a worthy cause like that, rather than just being sent to the paper recyclers, which is the path that most books take. So think about what it is you can do. Again, you may not have $21 million worth of guitars, but what is it you could do that would create a legacy? What is it you could do that would be worthwhile? Or perhaps you do have a collection of something. And I've got a cousin who has an amazing collection of model cars, some really hard to find ones in there. I don't know what he's going to do with it. Um, I'm going to check in with him, see what he's going to do. I mean, those things, it's not likely, like, like with my kids, am I going to donate 2000 books to them? Golly, my kids are into this minimalist lifestyle. They're trying to reduce things. They don't keep anything. So that's not a good path. So there may be some kind of worthy cause that you could be part of as part of your ongoing legacy. Well, a couple more good news stories here, and then we'll get into the question. How about this? When a single mom asks for a 70-cent donation for electricity, hundreds of people fill up her account. Now, that may sound like an odd amount, but here, here's the deal. When a struggling single mom from South Africa made a Twitter post asking for help paying her electric bill, hundreds of people stepped up to show her the compassionate power of social media. This lady works six days a week in order to support her two children, but she still has trouble making ends meet. After she was forced to pay her son's school fees, she found she didn't have enough money for electricity. So last week, she posted a photo of her home electricity meter at zero and asked if someone could donate, well, 10, 10 pounds, but anyway, it translated to 69 cents worth of power to her account. Well, within hours, she had received more than twice that amount, and the donations just started pouring in. The emotional 33-year-old mom says that she's been receiving donations from people as far away as Canada. She says, I have no words to express the love that people from all walks have shown me. I will keep everyone posted with the extra miles that I was also blessed. May God bless you all. Well, she actually got like 4,200 points worth or whatever. Now, now here's, here's why this makes sense. In Africa, there are a lot of areas of Africa where they have prepaid electric meters. 
Now we know here in the States, you just use electricity and then the electric company sends you a bill for what you've already used. Well, they don't do that in Africa. That, that The electric companies aren't willing to take that risk with just giving people electricity, hoping that they pay for it in the future. Different kind of economy. So they have prepaid meters. So if you put a dollar in your meter, then you have a dollar's worth of electricity that you can use. Just like prepaid phones, I mean, not an unusual kind of concept, something we're not used to, but it is there. So people have been pouring money into this gal's account, directly into her account that provides electricity and will probably be provided for years to come. Well, a great story. I mean, just a great story. People are compassionate. There are good people everywhere. I mean, the stories that I see every week are just endless. We could have a podcast that goes for three hours every day, just telling good news. I know that's not what we hear a lot, but I love to share those things here. Hey, one more. Here's a 13-year-old kid who opened a bakery. For every cupcake he sells, he gives one to the homeless. Now, does that sound like a pattern that you've heard before? Well, sure, it does. He sells one and gives one. And you'll, you'll see here as I tell a little bit more of the story, it'll ring a bell for you. From a young age, Michael Platt loved two things, Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. and cupcakes. He lingered by the I Have a Dream poster in his grandparents' house, imagining ways he too could fight for justice. He memorized statistics about income inequality and childhood hunger. But he also spent afternoons at his computer in his Bowie, Maryland home, awestruck by YouTube bakers who transformed a base of eggs, flour, and water into edible works of art. When his parents gave him a pair of Tom's shoes, there's the link, for Christmas three years ago, Michael saw a way to connect his twin passions. At age 11, he founded a bakery that operates on the Tom's one-for-one model. For every cupcake, cake, or cookie that Michael sells, he donates another to the homeless and hungry. So twice a month, he heads to locations, including domestic violence shelters, transitional housing in in the Washington, D.C. district to pass out goodies. Michael is now 13. He started this when he was 11. He says he especially enjoys handing out cupcakes to, to kids. I know I like cupcakes, but also cupcakes are part of a child's childhood, so they should get them, said Michael noting that he always eats one big one with whipped icing on his birthday. He calls his business Michael's Desserts. And he left out the apostrophe in his name just as a reminder that he's baking for others, not himself. That's a really interesting twist. So it's not Michael apostrophe S, it's just Michael's plural desserts. And you can look it up. That's his website, Michael's Desserts great looking website. You can order things there. But he says, I've always wanted to have a purpose for what I do. It's all about helping people, not just having a purpose for yourself, but thinking about how does this touch others? Now think about that in terms of what you're doing. And here's an 11 year old kid, now 13, who has figured out that whatever it is that he does, it needs to have a purpose. Gee, what a great issue. What a great thought for you. If you're 13, or if you're 33 or 63, wherever you are, what is it that is the purpose for what it is you're doing? Not just what do you do to make money? What is the purpose for what you're doing? More and more we're seeing people to see that. Now, with Michael, he's at home making these cupcakes. But here's why he's at home. 
He can keep up with his baking in part because he's homeschooled by his mom, who quit her job as a parent advisor for the Prince George's County school system to take care of Michael full time. This wasn't the family's first choice, but Michael was withdrawn from public school and her mother from her job after he was diagnosed with epilepsy in the sixth grade. His seizures became too severe and too frequent to allow him to sit in the classroom, his mom said. It was a very difficult time. He had to stop everything he loved, gymnastics, climbing trees, diving. That's when he threw himself into baking. And here's what his mom says. Baking makes him feel calm. When he started the bakery, he knew from the beginning he wanted his business to do more than make money. That's why the bedrock of Michael's desserts is this mission of fighting hunger and giving back, which Michael accomplishes through his giveaways and the very design of his treats. He offers customers three kinds of goodies each month. They can choose between shortbread cookies, a staple, a chef's choice, item that Michael invents anew every four weeks, and that month's edition of what Michael calls his Freedom Fighter Cupcakes. All right. Here's a 13-year-old kid who not only is making money, he's homeschooled because he has epilepsy, but instead of whining about that, he throws himself into baking, a process that calms him down, and in doing so, he gives one for everyone that he sells. Now, we've had a lot of people contacting us about, you know, what can my kid do this summer? I mean, we're already into summer here. Most kids are out of school. Boy, there are so many things, and I love seeing little entrepreneurs who come up with ideas for things they can do. Now, we have lots and lots of resources for that, but here's a couple quick links, and I'll put these in the show notes today as well. But you can go to bizkids, that's just B-I-Z, bizkids.com. You can go to 100startup.com. Or one that I really like is howtomakemoneyasakid.com. There's massive resources there, how to make money as a kid.com. Hey, check it out. Find something worthwhile. Teach your kids to be social entrepreneurs as well as just, you know, don't teach them to be money grubbers. Teach them how to do something that has value, that does good in the world. Teach them how to share their profits with other people generously. Boy, those lessons can be so easily taught in the process of having a little entrepreneurial business, whether it's mowing yards, washing cars, baking cookies, selling your art, whatever it is. Well, let me know those stories. I love hearing those stories. Incidentally, if you've got stories like that, send them in. We'll be sharing some kid entrepreneur stories. What are kids doing during the summer? You know, shoot your stories in just to ask Dan at 48days.com. And just the common email dedicated to this podcast, askdan at 48days.com. Well, Brian says, now this is what he says. He says, there was an article that we put out about investing in yourself. He says, I love this article. I'm great about doing this, but I don't feel I'm good about implementation of the knowledge I gain by reading so many books and walking through courses. Do you have suggestions on best practices to go from knowledge to understanding to implementation? And that's the process that I talk about. Knowledge doesn't put any money in your pocket. You have to go to understanding the implementation. Now, it's based on the rule that I talk about, and it's one that I heard originally from Brian Tracy. The rule is, and this rule will guarantee your success and probably make you rich, invest 3% of your income back into yourself. Now, I recommend that 
Again, no matter what level of income you're at today, if you're making 12 bucks an hour and you invest 3% of your income back into yourself, you get $58 a month to invest in yourself. That'll get you, that'll get you three or four great books. It'll get you an online course or possibly admission to a workshop or seminar. So it doesn't matter what your level is, you're never too early to start the process of investing yourself. And I've never seen anything provide the financial return that investing in yourself does. Now, here's how you move from, though, just gaining knowledge. If you take that money and you do get three great books and you read them, so now you're smarter. Or you go to a workshop, so now you're smarter. But you have to move beyond that if it's really going to change the trajectory of your life. Now, this kind of relates to that 15 hours a week that I talk about so much. If you are spending 15 hours a week growing your business, now here, here's where the fallacy comes in. I mean, we have people who have come into our coaching mastery program who they want to be successful, profitable coaches. And six months later, they tell me, gee, I've read 50 books. I've been to six conferences. I've listened to these podcasts. I've been to these seminars. And I'm like, gee, how much money have you generated? Well, zero. I'm like, well, you don't have a business. You know, you don't have a business at all. You know, you must have a hobby because you aren't making any money. I mean, that's pretty much the definition and the distinction between a hobby and a business. A hobby, I mean, we all want hobbies. That's fine. But if you want it to be a business, then you have to be generating income. So if you want to be moving in that direction, not just becoming smarter and filling your head with knowledge, but really creating a business, divide those 15 hours, divide your discretionary time that you're devoting to your business in this way, 15 hours. Use three hours reading, studying, gathering new knowledge. That's 20% of your time you spend getting new knowledge. And then what I recommend, now this is going to vary depending on what it is you do, but I recommend five hours creating content. So that could be, you know, building something that you're going to sell, or it could be, you know, working on your book or your course or your coaching packages or whatever, developing what it is that you're going to to sell. And then four hours working directly with clients or customers. Four hours, four of the 15. So more than you spend reading, studying, gathering new knowledge is spent working directly with clients. Three hours, the same amount recommended for reading, studying, gathering new knowledge, then spent on marketing your efforts to build your brand and reputation. So again, 20% there. If you spend your time in those four areas, you will develop a very profitable business in a very short period of time. Three hours reading, studying, gathering new knowledge, five hours creating content or the product, like in Michael's case, you know, baking, baking those cookies, four hours working directly with your clients or customers, three hours marketing, just as much time spent marketing. Now this is going to relate to one of our questions coming up as well, where we've got a coach who says he's a very good coach, but he's not making any money. Being a good coach doesn't make you money. Marketing your services, engaging with clients does. Well, again, that's part of the, part of the unpacking here that we have to be realistic about. Well, hey, just want to remind you, you know, that I, as I always say, you know, I consider it an honor to unpack the questions that you submit. I love being part of your lives in that way. If you got a question you'd like for us to consider here as part of the lineup, just shoot it in to ask Dan at 48days.com 
And then also those success stories. Tell me about what your kids are doing this summer. To learn entrepreneurial skills, learn altruism skills, learning how to be better people skills. I mean, those are the things you learn when you start a little business of any kind. But uh, share those stories as well. Again, just shoot them into askdan at 48days.com. So Larry says, long ago, you once commented about how you buy underwear that cost 2 to $3 a pair, but your wife buys underwear that cost $18 a pair. I remember that, Kelly. That was years ago. I did a blog on that. I remember the image I used uh, with underwear on a clothesline. He says, then you said you can make a living selling people what they need, but you can get rich selling people what they want. Would you elaborate further on that idea and how you've seen that play out over the years? You always read so much about find a need and fill it, but I'm interested in the business of providing things people don't necessarily need, but want. Got a great question, Larry. And yes, absolutely true. Let me give you just kind of a visual image of this. You can make a living selling transmissions or washing machines, but you can get rich selling jewelry, yachts, or chewing gum. <laughs> Those are things people don't need, but things people want. Just this week, I was working with a client, one of my coaching clients, and he's really interested in renewable energy. So solar energy, wind energy, and all that. And I said, it's going to be really hard for you to compete with you know, Elon Musk in the solar energy arena. You know, it's just, it's a commodity. And if you're selling solar panels or windmills, people are just going to price shop you and you have to be cheaper than everybody else. And that's a tough way to build a business. I said, what if you, what if you did this? I said, I have a little, it's probably like a 12 foot windmill in our yard, just outside our kitchen window. I love watching that. And almost continuously, the windmill is moving. It's just a really cool windmill that Joanne got me. No utilitary function of that. It's just enjoyment. I said, what if you took small windmills like that, that people are going to want just as decorative items in their yards? And what if you provided a little generator with that, where when the windmill's turning, there are lights that light up, up and down the frame of the windmill. It combines your desire to be in this renewable energy space because it, it's, it is a windmill. You know, we can see what the wind does, generating a little electricity. Now, not enough to power your house or anything, but just to light up some lights that come up and down. I said, because what you've done is you've just moved yourself from something that people think they need to something they want. You don't buy a little windmill like that because you need it. You buy it because you want it. You want to have something cool in your yard when your friends are over at night and the wind's blowing and the lights come on. I mean, I got excited about it, just thinking about it. I mean, I don't know if there's anything available like that or not. I really don't. But it's an example of if you move into the arena of things that people want. Now, a lot of things may be kind of on the fence. I mean, do you uh, do you need, well, golly. I mean, frankly, the things that I provide, whether it's coaching or it's books or seminars, or online community. I mean, really, those are things that people want because it addresses a pain point in their life. It addresses perhaps not a real pain, but a gap or a desire that they have. I mean, I love being in that space. Can people live without ever purchasing anything that I provide? Sure. Yeah. 
But I like being in that space where people recognize, ooh, I want my life to be better. I want to move up from where my mom and dad were. I want to change our family tree. I mean, same thing. You know, I mentioned you know, Dave Ramsey with the Pink Floyd Money song that they open their show with. I mean, can you get by without any things that Dave Ramsey provides? Yeah, you can, but it's been proven a whole lot of people have been have improved their lives because they've taken access of the things that he provides. They want a better life. They want to be in better shape financially. Very legitimate. But yeah, absolutely. I mean, that that's the deal. Be careful about just providing things that people need. You can make a living, but you're not likely to really thrive and prosper. All right, a couple more here. I love these. Mary says, I'm an introvert and also an artist. I'm terrified of putting my art out there for fear of criticism or rejection. Would it be reasonable for me to just show my art without showing my name? Whoa. Now let's think about that a minute. So you are a wonderful artist. Let's just assume that you're a really good artist, Mary. And so you put your art out there at an art show. Now, I, my wife is an artist. I've been to a lot of art shows. And at art shows, the thing that makes it an art show, for the most part, is the artist is standing there with his or her art. There's a whole lot of people who have purchased Joanne Miller's art. Now, I don't know how to rank it in terms of quality. I'm a poor judge of that. I think her work is beautiful. But I'm a poor judge of that probably in terms of objective qualifying. But a whole lot of people buy her art because they get to know her. They already do know her or they get to know her in a brief conversation. Say, oh my gosh, I want to connect with this lady at a deeper level. And they buy a purchase a piece of art that then has a story with it because they met the artist. I don't think there is any way in the world you can make a business out of it or thrive as an artist without putting your name on it. I mean, think about the things Picasso did. I mean, those crazy little pencil things that he did that look stupid and out of proportion. I mean, are people going to see that as great art and pay a lot of money for it? If they don't know it's a Picasso, not a chance. They'll think some third grader drew it. If you're going to build a reputation, you have to be willing to stand by your art. Be that a blog, a book, visual art, whatever it is, landscaping, golly, you build success because you become known as somebody who produces quality so that even if it isn't exactly like what your neighbor got or what you did last year, they know it's from you, the artist. Now, there are certainly stories about people who have created, you know, created fake names for themselves. I mean, Stephen King, you know, is written, written under different names. And then, then he raises his hand. Oh, that's really just me. You know, so there are people who experiment with that, who are already famous and they try out. But if you're starting out for you to put it out there without your name, you, you know, it's going to be a one at a time. You'll build no momentum from building your brand or reputation. I mean, we put things out. I mean, have I leveraged the success of 48 Days to the Work You Love? Well, sure. I mean, I've got a couple new books that were just getting ready to go. I mean, I don't intend those to come into the arena. Uh, what, what if I released a new book without my name on it? You know, what are the chances that 
would be successful. Now, you know, egotistically, I'd love to think, oh, yeah, people are going to recognize the quality no matter what. But I get a real big running start because people know that I've already written books that have impacted a lot of people. That's a major thing. Yeah, don't don't waste your time trying to anonymously put your art out there. Start to build your own brand. Now, are you going to experience rejection and criticism? Yeah, that's what happens when you raise your hand in doing anything. I mean, it reminds me of whack-a-mole. Remember that game? I used to be pretty good at that, at uh, Golly, at uh, Disneyland, places like whack-a-mole. I love that game. It's eye-hand coordination. I could whip pretty much anybody else. I'd, I'd wait till there's a whole lot of other players so I'd get a really big teddy bear. I mean, one one year, I'd, we just decided we were going to get all the major gifts for, you know, cousins and whatever we needed them for. And I just stood there and I'd wait till the maximum number of players got in and I'd play because it got me the biggest teddy bear and I'd win pretty much every time. Anyway, whack-a-mole. You raise your head, whack. Somebody's going to pop you on the head. That happens. That happens. You do anything that's going to give you ultimate success, you're going to get people to criticize you. I mean, there are trolls out there who just enjoy doing that. You've got to be prepared to deal with that. But it also helps if you get a whole lot of affirmation and rewards for what it is that you're doing. So be prepared for that as well. All right, a couple more here and we'll wrap up. Paul says, people say I'm a very good coach and the clients I've worked with give going testimonials. But I made $12,000 last year coaching and don't understand why my coaching success is not growing. Well, here's the fallacy in that. People often think I'm a really good coach. Therefore, I should be successful as a coach. The problem with that is that about 30% of your success will come from coaching well. The other 70% is what you need to do to build the business of coaching. We could wrap the question on art right in with this as well. About 30% of your success is going to come from being a good artist. And 70% of your success is going to come from building the business, from marketing it well from getting in art shows, from letting people know what it is that you do, from contacting organizations that would be good candidates for your art. And I knew an artist one time years ago who somebody commented on her art that it really created kind of a peaceful feeling when you look at it. Well, and they went ahead to decide where is it that people really want to feel peaceful? And somebody said, well, every time I go to the dentist, you know, I'm really tense. I'm agitated just because of what I know it's what's coming. She started taking her art to dental conventions. Guess how many other artists were there? Zero. She's the only one. And she promoted her art as helping to create calm and a sense of peace for people who were in the waiting room. She was extremely successful because of that focused niche. You got to figure out how you're going to market what it is you're doing. And you can be a really good coach and be broke the rest of your life. Now, you got to start with that for sure. Be a good coach. But then you've got to decide, am I going to you know, write a blog? Am I going to hold a seminar? Am I going to do a podcast? Am I going to be on the radio? You know, what am I going to do to let people know about the, the focus, my unique niche in coaching, what I am an expert in doing? That's what you've got to do. And one of the, we, one of the books we just sent out to all of our coaching mastery uh, students is The Coaching Habit. The Coaching Habit by Michael Bungay Stanier. It's really, really good. 
Actually, there there are two. The other is The Prosperous Coach by Rich Litvin. Those are two resources we use for every person going through our coaching program, and they'll help you break this mental problem of not being willing to promote what it is that you do. So you might check those out. All right, let me go one more here. Lewis says, I'm exploring the possibility of becoming a financial coach. Now, this is this question was raised actually in the 48 Days Eagles community, where we've got all kinds of interaction going, success stories exploding in there. But he says, I'm exploring the possibility of becoming a financial coach. I know this is a fairly new specialty and it's not the same as financial planner or advisor since it's not about planning for retirement and or selling financial products. Now, keep that in mind because I'm going to come back to that. As I understand it, financial coaching is about helping people win with their money, whether it's planning to get out of debt, setting a budget, saving for college, planning for financial independence, and so on. It's And since it's coaching, you would be there to take them step by step, and there will be encouragement and hand-holding along the way. My concern, Lewis says, is whether this is a service that people would pay for. I know I would have to figure out price points and packages. I just want to get your opinion. Be honest. Don't tell me what I want to hear. Will you or have you heard of someone that has hired a financial coach? If so, what's your feedback? Could you make a living at this or would it have to be part of some other business model? All right. Great question. Yes, I think it has to be part of another business model. When you say a financial coach, it implies you're going to work with people who are struggling with money. So that's a challenge to be have your target audience be people who are really struggling with money already or perhaps deeply in debt. When you say financial, if you say financial coach or financial advisor, I mean, we got some terms here we got to be careful about because some require legal status to say that you are a, you know, registered financial analyst and so on. But if you just say you want to be a financial coach, financial coaches who make money are selling products. They're selling insurance, annuities, mutual funds, stocks, bonds, those kind of things. They're, they're, they're actually selling. They just use financial coach as a politically correct term to avoid using, I'm a salesman, come on in my office. On the counterpoint, those people who are really just doing financial counseling for people without selling products, everybody I know doing that is doing it as a ministry. They're doing it as a service. You know, they may be doing it in their church, but they do not see it as a way of providing their income because I think it really puts you in a tough position to try to do that. Unless, and you ask, is there another business model? Yes, there is. There is indeed. I talked recently about a young friend of mine who was a weathercaster here in Nashville, and he wanted to do a seminar. He wanted to do multiple seminars on how to prepare for the weather, how to recognize bad weather coming in, what to do to prepare and be safe and all that. And I said, you know what? I think it's going to be tough to get people to pay to come to a seminar to hear about the weather because they expect to get that kind of information for free. But I said, why don't you go to businesses in the community who would like to have influence with the people that you can get together in a room. So people like the Chevy truck dealer, people like state farm insurance, people like the tornado shelter supplier, those kind of people. He did. He went to 15 companies, 12 of them wrote him checks on the spot. He did his seminar. He had 141 people show up. They paid nothing to be there. He had a, he had a well-known name was recognized in the weather and promoted it through the church. So he had 141 people show up, but he also had 2,500 bucks in his pocket from the sponsors 
that he was then able to, you know, list, show on the screen as he was talking and so on, give them promotion. And they said they'd do that anywhere he wanted to go, anytime, you know, anywhere. So it was an ongoing source of revenue. So you could do that in this arena as well, financial coaching. You could also have a podcast. Well, if you get 10,000 people downloading your podcast every time you release, you're going to have advertisers willing to stand in line. So you could generate money from doing that. Let's say that you have two sponsors each time you do a podcast where, again, you get at least 10,000 downloads. Those sponsors are going to be willing to pay you, let's say, $1,000. So with each one, you'd get $2,000. If you do that once a week, that's $8,000 a month. Now, that's not unrealistic. There are plenty of people in the financial advising space who are doing that. You could do seminars, you could write a book, you could have a membership site. So there's plenty of things you could do, but they are a different kind of business model than just providing the financial information to people. Now, even in Dave Ramsey's business, it's no secret. You can look at that and see where his big sources of revenue are. It's not in just providing financial information. Now, Dave does that when he's live on the radio, but the people who are receiving the information are paying nothing. It's the sponsors of the radio show that are generating income. He has endorsed local counselors, providers around the country and around the world. Those people pay monthly fees to have that privilege. So Dave recommends people to them. But again, the money comes from those providers, not from the recipients themselves. And I could go on and on, but you get a sense. Yeah, you can create a business model while giving financial advice, but be careful about trying to force the advice giving itself. I mean, even look, look at what I'm doing. I mean, I love coaching with people. I love sitting down with people one-on-one. And at one point I was doing that five days a week. But as I developed other things that created income, like books, seminars, courses, live events, speaking, online membership, mastermind, I mean, all those kind of things, those things create my money. What I get from personal coaching is a tiny, tiny portion of my overall income. Tiny portion. We can unpack that another time if you got questions about how that works. Well, just remember here, we're going to wrap up. Our quotation today comes from Robin Sharma, who says, investing in yourself is the best investment you will ever make. It will not only improve your life, it will improve the lives of all those around you. I love that. Invest in yourself. You know, I'm an old Mennonite kid. Golly, it still makes me cringe sometimes to pay $2,000 for a conference. But I've learned the effect over and over and over again. I've seen the return. I mean, literal return. Ten times money because of one idea that I came away with. I'm involved in a coaching program right now. And... uh, friend of mine who's also involved in the same program says he's never attended one of our event days where he didn't come away with a million dollar idea. And he's proven that to be true in implementing new things in his business. Our resource end for today is 48days.com slash invest. Go there, check it out. Start your own process of investing in yourself. Send me your stories. Let me know what you're doing to improve because of investing in yourself and how that's given you a financial return. And I love those stories. Again, it's not it's not selfish or greedy. It's a way of being a good steward of what God has put in you so you can more effectively serve and give to other people. Well, 
Always enjoy this time. This is one of my highlights. Keys Jump on here. Create the podcast. Always love doing it. Keep sending those notes in. Ask Dan at 48days.com. And thanks for being part of this growing community where we know without question, with total confidence, boldness, enthusiasm, we can find or create work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable.